Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are so excited to be joined by one of our Worst Girl Gang Ever award winners. Becky Kearns, aka Defining Mum. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me and, and thank you for the awards as well. And I've got it right here next to me on my desk. It's yeah. a bit flash, isn't it? It's lovely. Yeah. Pantfish, Yeah, yeah. we're well, pleased with them. But you're, I mean, it's so, so deserving. So deserving. Um, Thank you. I, yeah, I couldn't believe, well, firstly, I couldn't believe it when I'd been nominated and it popped up on Instagram and then um, obviously to win it. And obviously you couldn't have the award ceremony like you wanted to, which was a bit yeah. of a shame. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's a great thing to recognise the work that sometimes goes on that isn't shouted about. And um, yeah, so, mm. thank you. It's one of those ones because I think being in this community ourselves and obviously being as you are kind of a voice and a presence, we understand how much actually does go into making yourself heard above everyone else. And it is a full time job. I mean, it should be a full time job. But Mm. I think like so many of us, we're flying by the seat of our pants, pissing our other halves off in the evenings (laughs) with our laptops and um, and try to survive, try to tread water, really. And there's two of us and there's only one of you. So it's just... Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about just keeping your head above the water whilst trying to help other people, isn't it? It is. And it's just all about finding your way as well, because you, I don't know about you, but when I first started doing what I was doing, I had no idea what to do or how to raise my voice. Yeah. or and, and it is, you just learn and you you spend hours and hours connecting with people and, and collaborating with people and trying to work out how best to share what you want to share. And it does, it takes over your life. I mean, I mm-hmm. can... I would think about it most of the time at the beginning I'd be thinking right okay what can I do next and and how yeah. can I get that message across and yeah I think my husband has been quite annoyed at my f- level of phone use over the last three years but uh, I feel like I'm getting better uh, now I'm better at balance so we're better as well at the beginning we spent more time talking to each other than we did our husbands yeah, yeah. they got true, the right hand. true story they did yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually quite surprised surprised that both our relationships are still going fact, yeah yeah and yeah. ours as well mine and yours because we <laughs> it could, I mean it's been you know we've had our blowouts haven't we but well we kiss and make up at the end it's all good yeah, yeah. so Becky each other yeah, yeah. we had I mean that's been a saver for us isn't it it's the fact that when one of us is down usually the other one isn't and the other one can yeah. pull the other one out yeah because not only are we sort of all of us like uh campaigning raising awareness all of those sorts of things we're also mm-hmm. supporting people who are going through it and that's heavy isn't it yeah Yeah. so to be able to for us to be able to do it together um is good do you have a good support network around you Becky yes I do now and all people I've met through Instagram so Mm. as in they know kind of how it feels and the things and the Mm. struggles and I've got people all over the world who I chat to um about it because it's quite a unique experience I think um yeah yeah particularly donor conception which I'm sure we'll get into soon 
Yes. So as I was going to say, can you, would you start us? So you've been running Defining Mum for three years, you said. Yes. So it was 2018 when I first started. Yeah. Brilliant. And talk us through that. How did it start and, and why are you here? What what brought you here? So I, well, I all the way through my fertility journey, I had this urge to share it and write about it, but didn't really know how and I wasn't really in the right emotional space. Hmm. And uh, it was after I'd had, so I have three girls now, um, and my twins were six months old, so I was on maternity leave. And I'd been talking about it with my friends for so long about, look, I just feel like I want to talk about it. I want to share this. And I don't know how. And I think one of my friends got sick of me saying it and not actually doing anything with it and built me a little website and said, here you go. That's a good friend now. Ah, yeah. Massive, massive kick up the arse. That's what yeah. we all need from our friends. Yeah. She was like, I believe in you. Off you go and do it. And yeah, my I remember sitting with my husband in a pub thinking, I need a name for this. And I was like going through all the different like acronyms, IVF and all these things. And suddenly my husband actually said, Well, you're kind of like talking about how you've redefined what it means to be a mum. So what about defining mum? And I was like, that is it. That yeah. that that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And that's exactly what I've done. And um I think once I'd got the name, I, I was able to then start writing and, and sharing and I remember that first time where I properly shared my story. And even though I've been quite open with friends and family, it was that whole putting it on Facebook that was the scary thing and yeah. saying, look, I've done a blog, come and share. And it's all those people that you, you've you been to school with, you've worked with in the past and who know you but don't know you now. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like coming out, really. And I remember kind of just thinking, I, I don't know how this is going to go. It may fall flat and I, I think I'll probably be bored in a couple of months. But it just completely took off. I had people contacting me and the the feeling I had when someone was saying, yes, you've said how I've been feeling, but haven't been able to voice it. It was just like the most rewarding feeling ever. So I, I just became completely driven by this need to share what I'd been through and, and all, all the different feelings that come along with it. And um, yeah, it just inspired me to keep sharing. So I literally started to say to people, look, you you can become a mom in a different way to what you originally imagined. But then it's evolved into talking about sort of how I feel as a parent now through donor conception. And, yeah. and it was just realising that when I was going through it, I didn't know anybody else out there who, I mean, I met somebody through a Netmoms forum of all places who had a little boy through egg donation. And that was a massive turning point for me because I was able to visualise it and see their reality. And that made it yeah. more kind of easy to digest and to think about said for that isn't there having yeah. people who, who've been through or are going through the same experiences otherwise it's Absolutely. so lonely the power of identification is so like underestimated I think and so unbelievably powerful not just in this I mean particularly in this but in all in so many areas of life when you feel like you're on your own you find someone that sort of talks your language yeah I think we wrote a post about it it's like being in a room full of foreign people and then you find that one person and suddenly you're not alone anymore Mm. that one person that speaks the same language as you that has it doesn't even have to be the same experience but enough shared experience to be able to communicate with you effectively it's just such a relief isn't it it's such a yeah Yeah. such a, a it's so liberating it is. It is. And it's that whole feeling of validation, isn't it, as well, Absolutely. that everything I've been feeling is normal and I'm not the only one to feel like this. And and that's kind of where I wanted to position myself to say to people, look, it's OK if you're struggling with this. And and also not only 
doing that but also to give hope as well to people that actually you can be happy and I share my girls and I share our relationship and and I think it has helped people to get past some of those blockers to thinking about those different paths to parenthood and but also to be really honest about the bits that are still hard and and difficult and things we have to think about and I've been on this whole journey in the last three years where there's a whole community of donor conceived people who I'd never heard before I went on this path and they brought up some really difficult things that I've had to then think oh okay maybe I changed my view on that now or I've Mm -hmm. seen it from a different perspective and and I'm trying to almost share those reflections as well on this path. So it, it's very complex and so much more complex than you would think at the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That that's so I found that so much, Becky, that this whole community, this whole subject, this whole topic that, that we cover in this community is so much more complex than mm-hmm. you are led to believe before you're inside it. And and that you that that you realize before you join it it's um yeah you know that the um, it, apart from anything else the emotions that any one of these topics encompasses are just like a complete spectrum aren't they absolutely yeah and I think I I really struggle with the fact that when you're looking at using a donor to grow your family quite often when you're with the fertility clinic it's kind of given as a another medical option it's just like oh well you could use someone else's Mm -hmm. eggs um almost like it's an extension to IVF like Mm -hmm. kind of you can just take this slight detour around when actually what I've discovered later down the line is it's not that it's a whole new path to parenthood and I was just listening to your conversation with not a fictional mum earlier Mm -hmm. this morning and there are lots of parallels in there with adoption although it's different and yet there is I mean, you think about all of the the hoops you have to go through to adopt and to think about it, it makes it forces you to consider the implications and what how you're gonna support your child and, and everything else. And you go down the donor conception route and you typically get a um, one mandatory counseling session, which I didn't even get because we decided to go abroad before we got to the top of the list in the UK. So it was oh. yeah, I, I just that's kind of where I've evolved to as well in terms of trying to share that information and things that I wish I'd have known um because like like you say it is so complex and I mean I could write a whole book on it <laughs> and I would love to one day do it yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I just need to find the time but yeah I'd love to one day because it yeah it, it's huge it is huge yeah and I, I guess like the, the emotional stuff behind it is something that you might be completely flawed by when you say as you say in the fertility mm. clinics when people are when you're treated by medical professionals and everything seems so black and white and so information based that actually when you hit the stark reality of the emotions behind it, you might be completely flawed and yeah. not know your ass from your elbow in terms of why you're feeling the way you're feeling or whether that's, that is normal or, yeah. you know, whether you're having an adverse reaction to what's going on or that must be yeah. incredibly difficult to navigate, especially because you're doing it alongside your partner who I imagine won't have the same feelings as you. Yeah, it is. And there's no guidebook out there for it and everyone will be different. But um, yeah, I remember when we first started considering the thought of donor eggs, um, I was more open to it than my husband at the time. And I remember this conversation we had in the kitchen and he was like, well, I I don't know whether I'm ever going to be okay with this. It just feels so weird. And the thought of it and you go from that very initial feeling of, oh, my goodness, that's like 
some other woman's eggs being mixed with my husband's sperm and then I would carry the baby and it feels so alien so then you talk to people you understand a bit more and you you grieve and you accept as well because it's a whole grieving process you've got to like let go of that image of the child that you've always had it's like I always imagined I'd have like a little mini me I'm so like my mum and everyone's always commented throughout life that oh my goodness you two are just so alike in, in looks and the way we act um and so yeah I'd always had this image in my mind from being a little girl that I would have a, a mini version of me in some way so and and I think a lot of people struggle with that because they think they're being vain by thinking they want a, another version of themselves but I think it's perfectly natural to yeah. imagine that and to think about that and and to look at your child and see yourself in some way and things reflecting back so to have to then accept that your genetics aren't going to play a part in that is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also that you start to realise all of the other ways that you can influence them and, and help well, when you're carrying them through epigenetics. And, and then as you're nurturing them right from the very beginning, they, I mean, my girls don't necessarily look like me, but I get lots of comments that they're like me and mm-hmm. they, we smile in the same way. and. I think that's through mirroring and the way they've picked that yeah. up. And, and, and well, I can hear myself back when my eldest yeah. speaks to me. I think it's a bit about expanding your mind and mm-hmm. allowing yourself to, to kind of think differently about, about it. It's redefining, defining mum. And exactly. what does that mean? So. That's why it's so important, everything that you're doing. And, and that's why, you know, people recognise all the work that you're doing because, like you say, one genetic counselling session, if that yeah. is not enough. No, not for not for all the trauma that you've been through on the road up to it. I mean, I, I feel that a lot of people, I mean, donor conception is used in many different circumstances. So the LGBTQ community, that is their route to parenthood. Um, if you're in a heterosexual couple and you are going through fertility struggles, they're it's a very well it's a very similar kind of thought and feeling around it but it, it comes at you in a different way you don't necessarily see it coming you've not known that you've got to use a donor for a while and then yeah. that's how you're going to build your family suddenly you have to to shift and you've got to think about this and I mean donor conception has been around for a while now um not talked about but historically it's been very much under secrecy and and lots of shame around it and and doctors used to tell people um sort of 10 15 20 years ago there's no need to tell you you can just carry on as normal and and this is where you you hear from people who are donor conceived now who were adults and they're speaking out and they've found out through dna tests or they've found out in a family argument or um and the impact that that then has on them and their identity is is huge and and so I've always been a big advocate for talking and talking early. And, and that's what I also try to show is that, yeah, these conversations can be quite scary and emotional because you're mm. having to kind of bring back something that was very difficult. But for your child, it's the right thing for them to yeah. always know. Yeah, oh, I saw girl. your reel that you did the other day. Oh, yes. Yeah. So she's uh, Emma. Really, really good. So she's a, she's donor conceived. Yes. Um, yeah. And I thought it was really, really good because... You were talking about just that, like when is when's the when should we start talking about it? And you're like as soon as possible because 
that just makes it normal and it also makes mm. these conversations less scary the sooner you have them and let's face it like when they're really young you can sort of fob them off with answers if you, th- if you think shit I don't know how I'm going to answer that one yet let yeah. me have a think about it. let's talk about that tonight once they've gone to bed how are we going to manage that and yeah. but the older they get the more switched on they are and they're going to they're yeah. going to see that. So if you start it early, it's got to make yeah. it more and more natural, isn't it? But also when you start a conversation with a child early, it becomes part of their normal narrative. Yeah, exactly. And they don't like kids that have two mums or two dads or stuff. That is their normal. Mm-hmm. And if you can create that as part of their normal, then they're going to be so much more well-equipped to deal with anything that comes their way because that is their normal. And that's a lot to be said for that. And I think if we can all normalize these things from an early age, like IVF, donor conception, adoption, then all these kids are going to go to school together talking in a normal way about their norm, the normal way that they they came to be in this world. And wouldn't that be an incredible place to be? Because I guarantee in every class at every school, there is a child, for example, who was conceived through IVF. Yeah. Or, or a, a child who was, you know, whose parents had a lot of miscarriages or, you know, there's so it's so popular. I was going to say no, that's definitely not <laughs> the right common. <laughs> common. That's the, that's the one. It's so common and so important that these kids grow up knowing that that that's OK to be to be because it's not even that different anymore. That's the thing. No. But if you think about when we were younger, IVF was this weird like thing wasn't it, it mm, and, and yeah. that's that's pretty normal now yeah you know I, I don't think it has the same sort of um oh what's the word connotation like taboo to it as it as it no. did back then yeah um and hopefully it will be the same for all of the other yeah. other ways that but it needs to happen sooner rather than later doesn't it well definitely and, and it's Actually, one of the very first things I said when I started sharing my story was I, I, I want our girls to grow up in a world where they can talk about their story and they're yeah. not met with people going, what? <laughs> so yeah, definitely. it's not your mum's eggs or, or however. And mm-hmm. they, they can reel it off. I mean, Mila's now five um, and my twins, Esker and Lena are three. And if you ask them how they were made, they will say that mummy's um, eggs were broken. Um, and so we needed to have some eggs from a lady um lady donor or lady donut as my uh (laughs) she calls a lady donut um and they were put with daddy's seed and mommy carried them in their tummy and that's how they are who they Mm. are today and that will evolve over time so we my eldest has got the most beautiful curls and I wrote about this just recently and there's no curls in Matt's side of the family at all so we are pretty sure that that comes from from our donor and if you'd have said to me at the very beginning that there would be a really obvious feature from that lady giving us their the eggs and as, as much as I have always been incredibly grateful for her I had feelings of feeling feeling threatened yeah. jealousy that they'll share that with our, our child and I won't um and I would have really worried about kind of seeing someone else in my children but yeah. I don't I, I see them for who they are and I love them for who they are and yeah one of the things that I hear from the donor conceived community as well is things like celebrate all of your child. Don't just pick up on the bits where they're like you. They've got to love themselves, and and yeah, that is a part of them. So, um, we yeah, I always tell her how beautiful her curls are, and and I I absolutely adore them. So mm, it's it's one of these things that I wish I'd have known at the very beginning, and and I think it helps people to see how you you grow around it, you learn, yeah. you grow, and you grow more comfortable I think with it as well I I know now 
that I cannot be replaced. And I think that's a big fear mm, that huge. one day they'll go, you're not my real mom. I'm going to go and find <laughs> this person yeah. who, who is technically their genetic parent. Um, and that's a difficult thing to get your head around, um, particularly because the narrative I think you have generally from the fertility industry is that, look, it's just another part of the medical process and then off you go. And I think yeah. it's that longer term view that we need to help us to support them as they ask questions in the future. Are they are, are, like these fertility clinics? Is that is this the norm going forward or um, is there something happening that's that's going to change that sort of? The UK, the UK is much further forward than a lot of other countries. So um, if we think about the, the types of donors you can use over here, um, it, you cannot use a fully anonymous donor anymore. Um, and that was abolished um, a few years ago now. But the, the donors you use over here um, are contactable at the age of 18. So the child can then choose to make contact and find out who that person is. Um, and that's all registered through the HFEA and, and everything like that. Where we went abroad, we went to the Czech Republic, it's it's very different. So it is fully anonymous. And so we or we have a basic criteria, like kind of match to me. So eye colour, hair colour, height, weight, college education, I know, and her age, that's it. Um, and at the time, I was quite comfortable with that because I think it gave me that kind of distance. I was Mm-hmm. some people everyone's different with this so some people want to know absolutely everything they can know and will want to see photos and will want all of the information some people will kind of be more comfortable with the bare minimal now I found and this is one of the things I reflect on that over the past gosh five years that I've been parenting I've actually realized that in a way I've taken away that choice from the girls by using a fully anonymous donor that if they want to know who that person is um, not to replace me as their mum, but to know more about their own genetic origins and who they are, that, that's going to be a lot more difficult. Um, but nowadays with DNA testing and the advances in, in that, my hope is that if they do want to know more, we can kind of do, this, do it as a journey together and we can mm. kind of explore their heritage and, and maybe find someone through that. But it's all of these different things that you don't mm. think about at the very beginning. You the are thing- so focused on having a baby. Yeah, yeah I think also to you know to give everyone credit for decision making process and I love this expression you do the best you can with the information that you have at the time right and that is that is there's a a big weight and a lot of value in that because Mm. no one you know talking about us normal sort of sane-ish people (laughs) no, no one sets out to to cause anyone else pain or or, no. or or heartache or damage or anything like that so we're all just doing the best we can with the information that we had at the time and mm. if more people realize that about decisions you know we'd be in a, a much better place socially yeah. wouldn't we? let's yeah. let's be honest but I think it's easy to be hard on ourselves and to look back and have regrets and sort of hold that resentment for, for ourselves which yeah. just eats away at you when oh. actually we're all just fucking trying to you know get <laughs> yeah. on and yeah. do our best Absolutely. And and that's one of the things I say, we need to be kind to ourselves in this, because like you say, we only, we, we do what we can with the information that we have. And I mean, I, I also really struggle with the fact that I know this now, and I would want them to have that choice to, to find that person. 
yeah, if I hadn't made that decision, I wouldn't have them. So it's not that I regret the decision I made. I I just regret the implication of it. So it's, it's really complex. And, um, and for some people, there are barriers there financially, um, time scales and things where it leads them to a route that that is their only choice in a way. And, and so the, the ethical things that come up around it can really, really complicate it. And again, you've not Mm. got that counseling or, Mm. Um, provision there for that emotional support because I think I said before that you are so vulnerable when you're making these decisions you I mean we were on the back of five failed IVF cycles and a miscarriage and the thought of well I'd been on the waiting list for a long while in the UK and I was getting no nearer the top I mean it's it's got a lot better in the UK you did not have to wait as long as you were sort of six seven years ago but it that led us to going abroad because I, I, I could not face the thought of having another year of feeling like I wasn't moving forward and it yeah so so I think yeah we do need to be kind to ourselves and it's kind of part of partly why I share now because I think particularly online you know things can be quite unkind and the there can be a lot of shaming of people who have made these decisions I've had some really difficult run-ins on social media around the fact that we use an anonymous donor and uh, have nearly quit doing what I'm doing because it is it hits you right I mean it's yeah. talking about your children and it it's really really difficult and and I have people coming to me where they've suddenly read something online and they suddenly are, are terrified that they've traumatized their child in some way and and this is oh, why I try so to hard. share through conversation and and it's about knowing the context and, and trying to maintain perspective on your own family as well but learning and applying what you can but also having that trust in yourself as a parent that you you are trying to give them everything that they they need and and also just understanding that if they need to know more about that that person um that it's no reflection on how they feel about you it's the natural curiosity that they have I think that that as you say like the jealousy involved it's something I think about a lot when we talk about surrogates and and Mm. uh, donor conceptions and stuff and one thing that would I would always find interesting or or horrible for me, just as a someone that hasn't you know had to go down that route, is would I be jealous that, in effect, another woman has had a child with my husband? Like, did that did that come up for you, or does it come up in your in within um, the donor conception world? I think people do do worry about that. And I've heard of people where they've made the decision with their husbands or they've they've had the conversations where they say, well, if you get to share the genetic, why don't we both not? And we use double donation even. And yeah. people do consider that. And for me, I think I always felt comfort that they would have that ge- genetic connection with one half of their family and, and with Matt. And, and he's always been brilliant about it and is totally supportive and on board with kind of how I tell them and how we tell them and, and, he he doesn't see it as an issue anymore to say he had such a big kind of issue with it mm, at the beginning yeah. um I think for him it was a grieving process as well and he had yeah. to grieve the loss of the child that he had imagined we'd have together and yeah and yeah I think for me I find comfort in the fact that they've got that link and, and they do look like their dad they really do um they do don't they they definitely do. Um, <laughs> although I, I would still say at times where he he'll be like looking at Esker in particular, and he'll go, oh, "Esker, you just got my eyes," because they've got the same sort of colouring around the centre of their eyes, and and I still feel that little pang of mm, I won't yeah. ever get to have that in a way and and see.
see myself in that way but it gets easier and I think it's it's also about it's these coexisting feelings that you can have you can be so happy and so grateful and wouldn't want to change anything yet you can still feel sad about what you can how and actually it's shifted for me I've gone from grieving and, and wanting to have a child that resembles me in some way and have that genetic connection with me to more I don't know even know whether this makes sense but now I grieve the fact that I don't resemble them or <laughs> I've not got that link with them so it's, it's kind of I've it shifts in a way. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, you have the resemblance in other ways, don't you? You're, we do. Yeah, it's the nature nurture thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, there's so yeah. much to be said for the way that that children are brought up and the environment they're in, and and as you say, mannerisms. Like my um, my oldest two children are my my husband. He is not their dad, mm-hmm. and my son says things the way that Rob says things and because they're around him you know so much of the time we we have a great relationship with their dad as well he's not out of the picture but it's that kind of it actually it all these things don't matter they don't matter if your child is loved and your child is looked after and and feels secure in where they are then that is all that matters and they'll end up picking up bits of of everyone and their their school and you know as people we are um a bundle of our experiences and our schooling and our parents and our people that that we knew as children and and all the people that 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 it took to sort of bring us up and stuff and that actually genetics does obviously play a part but not as big a part as as we probably think to start with right yeah absolutely and and society places this huge emphasis on I mean the fact yeah. that when you've got a newborn the the most common question you get is oh who do they most look like and yeah that's a no, really an part. alien yeah <laughs> it's like, they look like themselves is the best way to answer that yeah goblin like aren't they yeah. <laughs> like Benjamin Button no but I think what you say is right it's um genetics are important but they're not important for love and there is so much more that goes around that and and stuff that you don't even realize in the way you you were brought up and and the people who influenced you who weren't genetically related to you and yeah we just have this it's like this notion that's ingrained in our minds that this is what a family is and like you said earlier we where I think today compared to when I was at school that there's so many different types of families about and and there's much more conversation and I think people often worry about when my child goes to school are they going to be picked on for this but I think we're almost imagining it in the the day and age that we were at school where it was really uncommon for there to be a different type of family and and now yeah like you say there's two mums two dads um solo Mm. mums um and so many different types of families and that's one of the things I do as well with the conversations with the girls we don't just talk about how our story is different we talk about how all families are different and it's putting it into context for them as look yeah there are some slight unique traits to our family in comparison with your friends but they're everyone's different and yeah yeah the most important thing is we love each other and absolutely and I think we're we're in so we're it's so common that we go in with our own heads full of our own kind of egos and worries and anxieties and stuff and we think oh 
everyone's going to be judging us, but actually everyone's got their own shit to deal with as well. Yeah. So no, no one's going into a situation focusing on what other people are doing. Everyone's going in there scared that they're, you know, I think yeah. everyone is ultimately scared that they're going to find out, be found out to be this big imposter yeah, <laughs> of what absolutely. they're doing. And so we're all just going in like, oh, please keep your head down and just don't, you know, don't look at me, don't look at me in, in some, you know, in some ways. Yeah. And actually don't worry about what anyone else thinks because everyone else is too busy thinking about themselves to care about you. Yeah. yeah. I remember um, when I had Mila as a newborn and, and you know what it's like the, those early days where you don't, you don't know what you're doing really. You're just fumbling along. And, and I went to a baby group and I was so worried that people would be able to see that we weren't genetically related. I, I just had this, and this was really early days, really vulnerable, new mom, kind of worried about bonding and, and all of these fears I had were like manifesting and coming out in this. And I remember being there and and it wasn't, I wasn't feeling that way because she was from an, an, another lady's head. It was because I was a new mom and I was finding my way yeah. and I felt like an imposter, but I didn't realise that they probably all felt exactly the same, yeah. for slightly different reasons. And, and nobody did notice. They just saw a mom looking after her child and it, quite often our own thoughts and feelings can really influence how we approach situations and 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 definitely the fears around attachment and bonding are so great when you're using um donor eggs because I I remember worrying that they would have some kind of sixth sense that I wasn't genetically connected with them and that they would cry for me and and settle for Matt and that wasn't the case um at all it's real though isn't it it's real these worries are real Mm. but I bet when you look at it now as you know you've grown so much and you've also reached out within this community and yeah and obviously met had made so many connections and stuff and had these same conversations but I bet when you look back now you're like that was batshit crazy behavior it was yeah (laughs) completely (laughs) but it's so real when you have these anxieties about anything they are so real and frightening at the time aren't they that you have they have to be recognized and validated as well yeah yeah, even through pregnancy, that was a really strange time as well because suddenly mm. it didn't feel real after that long. You know, that you feel like an imposter anyway. And and I remember I, I didn't feel like I could voice these thoughts that I was having because I felt wrong for feeling it. But I was worried. I was thinking, well, what if they come out like looking really odd, <laughs> really different and it being really, really obvious and and I, was, I kept thinking to myself, Becky, stop being, that's just so like shallow. Like, and I, I knew I was going to love my baby. I, I felt this connection as I could feel her moving around. I mean, actually we didn't find out what we were having because we kind of wanted that surprise, but, okay. um, but things changed. And, and I mean, I've had guest speakers speak on Paths to Parenthood about these different feelings and thoughts we have. And, and you learn that it's a process of attachment over time. It's not just this one moment of suddenly that's my baby and, and there's yeah. just all these little niggling things that that can crop up when you've used a donor but that that I think most people wouldn't really relate to because it's a different type of situation really yeah, yeah I think also when you like what something I found in my pregnancies is that I had a major fear that I wouldn't be able to love this baby as much mm. as I love my my you know the baby that yeah. my second baby I was like I don't know and I was like this is a horrible mistake because there's no what might like I, there's no way I can love this but I've got so much love for my son I there's no way I can do it I don't I'm not yeah. I'm not going to be able to do it and that I've spoken about that before and that's a really common thing as well just this we we cannot <laughs> fathom 
this love and I imagine that is sort of tenfold with this because yeah. you, you must have the shit what if what if instinctively you know you said you said earlier what if my kids have this sixth sense that I'm not their mum what if I instinctively don't yeah. feel that this is my child what if yeah. I get um what what is it called Pete postnatal depression yeah yeah Sorry. yeah <laughs> yeah what if I get that and I I reject this child and that must have been a real fear or it must yeah. be a real fear for people going through this sort of thing oh definitely I mean I remember I I was worried I had postnatal depression I didn't but you know the, the baby blues you get mm-hmm. and I was yeah I remember it was about three weeks in sobbing to the midwife and and I'd explained everything to her and I remember saying to my mom I think it, it's because I'm not bonding and the midwife just said look 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 this is normal and yeah. you were, all these hormones are flooding through and you're obviously going to have these feelings and and it did it, it cleared up over a few weeks and I was fine mm. but I was I did work I mean I had um I lost my nan as well a couple of weeks after me and was born so it was a really difficult oh. time anyway um yeah. who I'd always been really really close to and and so I think we we hang our hat on the fact that we're having these feelings because they're donor conceived when actually mm. just hormone it, emotion. yeah it's typical mum yeah. feelings um, that we then kind of associate with uh, the fact that yeah. we're a donor, really, rather than the fact that it, it is kind of that transition mm-hmm. into becoming a mum. Becky, tell us a bit about Paths to Parenthood then. So mm. for people who are considering donor conception, um, Paths to Parenthood is where they should go. Isn't it? Yes, yes. Well, I hope I've basically tried to create everything that I would have wanted and needed back then yeah. that still I don't think really exists. And it's for anyone who's either thinking about starting it or parenting now. So we, the community is full of people at different stages of the journey. Um, but I launched it in 2020, September 2020. So it was a bit of a lockdown project, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what I wanted to do was bring in professionals and experts to talk about these things that I've just been talking about. So um, I host a, a webinar every month on a different topic. And you would think by now I'd run out of topics, but I haven't because there are so many different angles to this. Um, so last month we talked about um, mixed families and so someone who may already have a child and then have secondary infertility needing to use a donor and the complexities that come with that and and then also I host um, a monthly live chat which is kind of a little bit like this really we I chat with somebody who has been down this path and we've covered solo motherhood we've covered two mums we've covered many stories of egg donation sperm donation we have we've had men sharing their perspective as well because it's so often not talked about Um, and then also the perspective of those who are donor conceived so I try and bring donor conceived adults in to share their experience and then take from it what we can learn as parents and and there's also a community hub so it's all away from social media and on a private app and and people have made some really amazing connections it's just lovely to see the the questions and that are asked and, and the support that people give and and then I host uh, virtual support groups as well every month um, to, to kind of help people through that. So it, it's a space where they can go and they can find, they can explore, they can think about, okay, this is one of my fears. Let's, I know that I'm not alone, but let's understand it, understand it a little bit better. So yeah. Um, yeah. And the feedback has been amazing. And I, it's always scary when you launch something new, you think, is it going to, is it going to be what they need? Um, but yeah, yeah it's just always evolving, you know? isn't it? Yeah, you just you it, you create what what people need because you you see the gaps that are missing, and yeah, yeah. It, 
really, really wonderful, wonderful resource for people. Thank you. And yeah, my hope it, it, it will continue to grow. And we've got over 350 members all over the world now and we're hosting sessions at different times of day so everyone can try and come along. And um, Have there been any in real life meetups? Have you, we get people messaging us um, to yes. know, up for a coffee and sending us selfies and things like that. And that's amazing because Love it. we started in Love lockdown as so well. Much. And for such a long time, no one could really connect in real life. But yeah. yeah. It's fab seeing those pictures. It is. It is. It's amazing. There's been a couple in Australia who have met up, some in Canada. And wow. oh, I've had two organised events for meeting in a, a, like a picnic last year, um, you know, when we could actually start seeing people again. And both were rained off. So hopefully oh. this year it will happen when we get into the spring. But yeah, it's amazing just to see that there's people who just go out on walks together and are pregnant together and, and are, are going through this, but knowing they're not on their own and they they feel like they're preparing themselves in the best way to then parent their child through this because like I said you've not got there's no handbook out there and there's no sort of support package for people as they hit different milestones I mean I really struggled when Mila started school and it hit me like out of nowhere and I was speaking to Julianne who's one of my speakers and she said look this is probably a bit of a resurgence of the grief and you're having to let her go a little bit into the big wide you world and about questions that might be asked at school or... yeah I don't know whether I was that worried about it. I think it was more about the fact that I well I I would miss her because I was yeah. so close but yeah I, maybe a little bit um she's always known her story and it's never really come up for her I don't think but I had the conversation with the teacher which is another conversation we've had on Paths to Parenthood and just in case she started talking about someone else's eggs or I know how babies are made and someone I don't want her to be ever met with someone going uh like what I know kids are so like funny the stuff they come out with I guess if yeah. the teacher's prepared for what what she's talking about then um that's it yeah. and, and that's quite a scary conversation to have because you you do feel but teachers nowadays they they know so many different stories and they they yeah. well I've done it twice now and they've been amazing um but yeah it, it is something that it's not a one-time decision it's something that is well it's not just your story either it becomes their story and and that's I think the bit that often isn't shared when when people are just starting to look at this um because I think let's face it when you're you're going through such trauma to have a baby and difficult times you find it hard to look far ahead because you don't want to jinx it or hope too much and so I always try and say to people look try and imagine yourself with this child and, and having that conversation and I remember at the beginning I couldn't get past having that positive pregnancy test at first and it's like every step but it's important to start kind of thinking about these things and and preparing yourself because yeah doing it in the early days allows you to practice and, and practice saying it out loud which is so important to um becoming comfortable with it so that you can you can share with them so it's so interesting isn't it it's all you know we're talking about how how much there is behind these this the doors of this community if you like and I just find it all I'm still blown away by the stories of other people and inspired by people like yourself who kind of want to make it easier for the next person because it is a I can only imagine it must be a really fucking frightening place to be at times yeah yeah and and lonely and that's kind of mm. what I really feel has changed just through Instagram over the last few years it's do you get a bit defensive when people moan about Instagram 
you know people who just use yeah. it pictures of their breakfast for example and and they go oh it's you know it's, it's not it's not very nice or it's rubbish or it's stupid or whatever I'm like actually it's bloody wonderful yeah, it yeah. Is bloody so wonderful. You're following the wrong people <laughs> When people use the word influencer as well, and I remember someone saying to me once who I didn't really know very much, was like, oh, so you're an influencer. I was like, well, but influencing on something really important to yeah, people. Yeah. And not, I'm not sharing being a wanker down the high yeah. street. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's a message. And, and I find Instagram a, a brilliant tool for connecting with people. Like, I didn't know what I was doing at first, but now I kind of feel like I've got my groove and I've not really branched out onto anything else to be honest and people are they have you gone on tiktok and no, no. i don't do him. I'm <laughs> we well, <laughs> we we didn't like it if someone called us influencers as well and we we weren't we weren't happy with that so no. but someone else called us thought leaders i which like that we are entirely happy with so go with thought leader yes yeah <laughs> i love that <laughs> an advocate rather than insta wanker yeah <laughs> yeah douche <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Becky, thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely amazing to kind of have that proper chat that we've um, been skirting around for such a long time. And no, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, so I hope I've not talked too much. I could talk for hours. No, no, it's fascinating. It's brilliant. And it will definitely be really helpful to lots of people. And we will point them in your direction. So all your details and links and things in the show notes. Fabulous. Thank you, ladies. It's been a Lovely. pleasure. No Not at all. Enjoy the rest Keep of the Keep in touch. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. We'll speak soon. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us, and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. (laughs) To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.